Hello, and welcome to the first episode of In Discovery We Trust, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Ethan. I'm joined by... Kevin. And today we will be discussing the first two episodes of Discovery, The Vulcan Hello, and Battle at the Binary Stars. But first, meet your hosts. Kevin, tell us a little bit about your relationship to Star Trek. So, my relationship with Star Trek begins at an age I don't even know. Um, I have been a fan my entire life, but I actually cannot pinpoint when I began watching it. So I kind of feel like, in a weird way, I was born into it, despite having nobody in my family watch Star Trek at all. The womb folks. The womb womb folks. Yes, the womb folks. Um, I honestly cannot... I know it began with the original series, and then Nickelodeon used to air the animated series, and I used to watch those two. I used to tape it when I was like three. I know how to work at VCR at the age of three. Um, so my fandom goes goes back to that age. I honestly could not tell you the first day I discovered it and began watching it. It's very odd. And about you and what about you? My fandom goes back um, well the earliest most vivid Star Trek memory I have. My family had HBO. We were one of the first in town to get cable. Mm-hmm. And HBO showed the Star Trek films very early. And I remember being a young child and watching Spock die with Kirk on the other side of the glass. And I remember it was the first time that a film made me feel anything. And I actually shed a tear at a very young age. Interesting. Um, later uh, in middle school, I discovered Star Trek The Next Generation, and I actually had a tiny, maybe a five-inch black-and-white TV, and uh, Star Trek Next Generation would come on at 11 p.m., and I would stay up in my bed with my tiny little black-and-white TV so I could watch it. It's odd, because I do have somewhat vague memories of The Next Generation in its very, in its very early days, and um, you could say I was kind of a hater at a young age. Because I only wanted to watch Kirk, Spock, and the original crew. And when I would see The Next Generation, for the longest time, I refused to watch it. Because I said, that's not, that's fake. That's hashtag fake Star Trek. I don't, I didn't want to watch it. And um, it took me a long, long time to actually warm up to Next Gen. I used to, you know, kind of consider them posers for, for the longest time. Despite the fact beyond that, I got into Deep Space Nine and Voyager... But Next Gen, I think it's because Deep Space Nine and Voyager did not focus on an Enterprise, so it kind of felt like they were their own thing. But I, for a long, for the longest time, I kind of held a grudge against Picard and his crew. Thankfully, I probably shouldn't have. Thankfully, you did not have a Twitter in the late 80s. Well, in my case, it would be the mid-90s. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. After my Next Generation love... Uh, It was a while before I came back to Star Trek, except that I would see the films when they came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I do remember seeing Generations in theaters. Um, So, later, it was Enterprise that brought me back, Mm -hmm. after some years away from my uh, genre interests. You're more of a Star Wars fan, I know. I am more of a Star Wars fan, and I happen to really love Enterprise. Right. Um, it It came on Netflix... And I saw it, having never seen Enterprise or known that it existed. Wait, your first time seeing it was Netflix? Yes. 
Did not realize that. Okay. And I ordered the discs mm-hmm. back when you could only get discs from Netflix. Yeah. And I I loved it so much. I upped my discs to four discs at a time. I paid extra, so, so I so no streaming yet. No, no stream. Okay, you had to pay extra to get four discs at a time, so you could binge watch something. And once yeah. you were done, you would go back down to one disc at a time. So what you're telling me is you had to pay to see Star Trek. That's a sore subject for many people, but for me, I've been paying to watch Star Trek for a long time. Mm-hmm. I guess my parents paid to watch the Star Trek films when I was younger. They paid for HBOs. Yes, as everybody had to. I'm very familiar with paying to see Star Trek. So, as we know, uh, Enterprise was sort of unceremoniously canceled in February of 2005. I do remember that day very, very well. Um, needless to say, I was not surprised, but that ended a 18-year, an 18-year run of Trek, beginning in 1987, spanning all the way from 2005. And, you know, since then, we've had three movies, um, which do cause a little bit of controversy, because I don't think the fan community, for the most part, has really adapted well to the J.J. Abrams films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, since then, here we are, what, 12 years later, finally, uh, with a new show, Discovery. Um, I will say that when Enterprise was canceled, um, I never really questioned whether or not the franchise would come back to TV. I just knew that it was going to be gone for... I figured it'd be gone for a while, but that it would eventually make its way back. And now that day is finally has finally come and gone. So, uh, the first two episodes of Discovery, which was the Vulcan Hello and Battle of the at the Binary Stars, oddly enough, not a feature length episode like the other sh- like the other shows have been, um, and kind of a prologue. So, but I'll begin with you. Initial impressions of the uh, of how this show kind of got off the ground. Well, uh, it's a beautiful-looking show first. Mm-hmm. Cinematography, like we've never seen on Star It Trek looks before. like the Abrams films, despite not being set in that timeline, but it has the appearance. It does. A lot of lens flares, too. The lens flares, um, mm-hmm. beautiful lighting on the ship, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful outdoor vistas that are actually outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, but my overall impression of the first two episodes was that I was watching a prequel in the proper order. Right. Because I feel that it was a two episodes that established what the show would be, and mm-hmm. I still felt at the end that I had not seen what Star Trek Discovery will be. No, I thought that, that those two episodes were extremely together, kind of self-contained. That could have been a sort of movie of the week. Yeah, and I would almost expect, with sort of the way most modern shows are in sort mm-hmm. of the prestige television, that we would have started with... Michael on Discovery, and then yep. found out her backstory through flashbacks to everything we saw in the first two episodes. Right. Um, just to keep the narrative sort of mm, kind of moving forward in the main, right. the meat of the show, rather than mm-hmm. have it so segmented. The only thing I would say, the, the, my two biggest things about it were, um, I, I know that they want to kind of focus on these Klingons and focus on the Klingon war, but... I was getting a little kind of bored with the Klingons somewhat, because I thought that that was sort of dragging on a bit. Yeah. Now, here's yeah. a question that you might know. Mm-hmm. Have the, has the cadence or the, the tempo of Klingon speech slowed down between to, in this series? Because I really felt like there were all these silences, and it was very much, bah, yeah. dah, bah. 
Yeah, like they were. They, they weren't. Yeah, they were not. Um, the thing about the Klingons of the past, you know, specifically, you know, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager era, and even Enterprise, they had this sort of almost bombastic quality to them. You know, they spoke in very kind of exaggerated tones, right? Right. And, you know, with a lot of kind of. I don't want. I don't know if I want to say excitement, but they had this very... The best word I can think of is bombastic. Mm. You know, like, to the Empire! But these Klingons seemed a little... Yeah, kind of slow. Almost sort of much more reserved. They weren't these... They didn't come off as these sort of like... Like threatening, ready for battle type of Klingons. They just kind of... They seemed very much more cold and much more calculating. It was it was it was odd. They weren't the Klingons I was used to. No, it, it almost seemed as if they were going for some type of uh, I don't know, refined dignity or and I don't a, recall a quiet strength, a slow strength. They were not these you know, they were they weren't fun Klingons. For some right. reason I think of the Klingons as being fun. I don't know. I mean, I thought but you know, that's fine. I mean, I, I I'm just kind of liking it to maybe that's how this house of Klingons is. Mm. You know, but at the same time, nothing about them felt familiar in the sense of you know the the design of them. You know, that's that's a whole other topic. I don't even want to really get into I, it because I, I, I know fans okay. are pissed about. I, I, I thought the design was fine. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. You know, um, as long as we know who they are, that's fine. I yeah. think it's because it, nothing, there's been a steady progression of facial prosthetics. You just keep adding more. The only thing is, the only thing part of it is for me. I think it's because to go back to the word I was using a moment ago, nothing about them felt familiar in the sense that the design didn't feel familiar. There was no, you know, there was no. I didn't recognize any of the Klingon ships. They were all brand new. They're all new design, new designs, mm. right? So if you go back and think for a second, Enterprise takes place 105 years before this one. The show does. Yes. Right. And in the third episode of Enterprise, with the one where Trip becomes pregnant. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Unexpected? Of course. You see a Klingon battlecruiser of familiar design that you've seen on the original series and right. even later in the motion picture and then Deep Space Nine. You know, I think by the time the original series, it's called the D7 battlecruiser. On Enterprise, it's called like a D5. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge nerd. Um, but we didn't see any of that when you saw the fleet of Klingon ships arrive. And, you know, that may have been intentional, you know, for all I know. Mm-hmm. So, but, so I was missing, I was kind of missing the familiarity of the, of those Klingons in a way. Right. Now, the thing I'll say about that is I, I did appreciate the fact that unlike other Star Trek shows, and as you mentioned, I'm a Star Wars fan, so, mm-hmm. um, in Star Wars, there's a great diversity of ships. No right. two ships look the same. And I really got the sense here that no two ships look the same. When we've encountered Klingons before, their ships have been identical, where you can tell they're probably right. even using the same model and some mm-hmm. camera trickery to make there be several of them. So mm-hmm. I kind of appreciated the fact that um, it was not a completely uniform fleet of ships. We had no. all these different designs. I mean, that, that main vessel that they were all on, I mean, you know, had I never known that that was a Klingon ship. If I looked at it for the first time, I said, oh, that looks like it, maybe it could be a Klingon Yeah, it sort of ship, had the... But it didn't... The wing, the forward... Yeah, like it kind of followed the same thing. principles, but it, you know... But it was not, you know, the familiar kind of Klingon battlecruiser that we have seen in the past. But right. that's a very sort of nitpicky thing. I mean, I know that they... I, obviously, I know that they are Klingons. They kind of resemble the Klingons more from Star Trek Into Darkness, if you remember. Yes, I, I agree um, with that. 
when well, we didn't get to see much of, but no, they were only. It was very brief. I remember they took the helmets off and they had like those. It was like the. It was like their nose all the way up to their forehead. It was all like pierced. They had like ear, they were like they had rings. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, and they were also bald, like they were in this one. Yeah. But those the Klingons are not is that, the long hair. I will say when I saw Into Darkness, not to get not to stray too far off topic, but when I saw those Klingons, despite the fact that they were very brief in their appearance, that was the first time in a long time when I saw them. I was I was actually kind of a little intimidated. Mm. Because you know, I think that we they were supposed to be in the first movie, but they never. I don't think I can't recall if they no actually no all their scenes were taken up. So you would have seen them in the origin in the first Abrams film, but by the time we saw them in that one, I was a little kind of I was kind of nervous. Yeah, I do, will say. Do you think maybe the years of um, next generation style Klingon comedy duos at um, conventions have ruined the original design for you? Uh, no, no, I, I don't think so. I think it's you know. All right, well, I'll get into it then. You know, I said I wasn't going to. You know, fans have been compla- fans have been complaining about the redesign of these Klingons. And just but, to interrupt for one second, we will revisit this idea of "quote unquote" the fans as the fans. an entity that the complains quotes. about things. This will probably come up more um, and more as this podcast progresses. You know, I think the reason why those Klingons in you know the movies and you know the original movies and then leading into Next Generation Deep Space Nine, there is that sort of uniform look to them because, quite frankly budgetary reasons, they've only got about, you know, maybe 10 or 15 Klingon costumes, and they're all, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. We were led to believe at that time that the Klingons basically wore all the same things constantly. Right, so Every Klingon black, dressed exactly the same. Long hair. Long hair. I mean, the, I'm sure that, you know, the, the, the foreheads obviously looked a little bit different, but, like, what they actually wore was, for the most part, worn across the entire empire. Mm-hmm. And there was no diver- no, and like every alien in Star Trek looked like that in the sense that they all looked exactly, more or less the same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. We had this discussion long before we did this that you know leading up to the show, these Klingons look different, but you know it's like not everybody on Earth looks exactly the same. Right. Not everybody is white. Not everybody is black. Not everybody is Asian. You know, not everybody is Asian. Right. And so I don't see anything wrong with, you know, these Klingons having a different look. Because as far as I'm concerned, this is now the third, the fourth time that we've seen the difference in Klingons. Because don't forget, you have the, you have the original Klingons, as we've seen with the forehead ridges. Then you have the flat-headed ones, right? Right. You have the ones in the Abram in Into Darkness, albeit a different timeline, and now this one. I see no reason why all of these Klingons should not be occupying the same... You know, world. Yeah, I, I completely believe that there could be variations on right. Klingon, as there are variations in humans. These Klingons to me also came off. You know, that's what I was looking for. These Klingons to me also came off as more of like a almost like a cult. Hmm. With the with the this. Um, you know. What is his name? Yeah, that, I forget his name. That one Klingon who kind of walked over to the flame and stuck his hand over the flame. Yes, yes, willing you know? to suffer to be a part. Which of this. reminded me uh, a little bit of like a cult or a gang. Certainly, and I think that's definitely what it was going for. He was going to unite all the Klingons, and he was going to do it by getting the the lesser, or the the sort of the shunned by the Klingon society people on his side, and he wanted absolute loyalty. Right. You know, I think it's, you know, I I, obviously I'm curious to see where where they're going to be taking this, um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, to go back to the original point, I, I was getting a little bored with the Klingon, you know, scenes. Me too. Um, Me too. They were getting, I thought they were getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, especially, it's in, I think it's in Battle, it's toward the beginning of Battle of the Binary Stars. Where the, you know, it's like, it's like, a, it seems like it's like an eight or ten minute scene between all of them. And they even decide to flash back. Remember that they flash back into uh, yes. the early days when he was, I, I, yeah, I, I, off the top of my head, I forget the name, the main Klingon's name. Yeah, and um, narratively, but, it was a strange choice because yeah. here's a character who, sure, he starts this war, mm-hmm. but he's also dead by the end of the second episode. Right. Exactly. Uh, so they, we're getting his backstory, mm-hmm. but we're not getting maybe some of the characters we're going to be spending more time with on right. Discovery's backstory, which I found that somewhat unfortunate. It was a lot of wasted real estate on mm-hmm. the Klingons. I would have sort of accepted. Yeah, something happened. We're at war with the Klingons. Right. And and let's right. go. Let's get on um, Enterprise and let's find out. And, you know, but I do appreciate the fact that, you know, when there's no human present, they are speaking their, their native tongue, which did always kind of bother me in the other Trek shows when you would see these aliens together. They would not be speaking their own native. They're speaking English. Yes. Um, I, I mean, granted, I'm not somebody, I'm not huge into subtitles, I will say. Yeah. I get kind of tired of reading them. Um, I mean, I'm the guy who will watch anime and then turn on the English dub, oh. despite how bad it may be. Yeah. Because I'm too lazy to read subtitles. Okay. okay. Um, well, and I, well, I get tired of reading them, basically. I mean, if it's going to be for, like, a few scenes, fine. But, like, these scenes with the Klingons are up there for, like, you know, five, ten minutes. Yeah. I don't mind, cl- I don't mind you know. subtitles, but I just wish they would have picked up the pace of their sentences. It's also a combination of, like, they weren't... They, they were speaking very slowly, and you, and you just kind of like, oh my god. Yes, it's like, I yeah. can finish your sentence for you. Just right. spit it out. But, um, that's the whole thing. Now, the new characters, you know, in the... So, unlike the other shows, you know, this one does not focus on a captain, which is kind of an interesting choice. Um, uh, the main character, Michael Burnham, is the first officer of the Shenzhou. And, um, I don't know, what did you think of the choice to change the perspective I think it's a. I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've we've gotten to know captains. We've seen captains doing their thing. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of putting it um, on someone else, and I do. Sort of in contradiction to what I said before, I do like this idea that she is. Um, Michael Burnham. That is Michael Burnham is. Sort of the pariah of Starfleet. She's on the outs. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of what she does in these two episodes, right. um, I, I sort of like that perspective. Where I think we're very used to following the the lauded, celebrated captain, right? Who maybe has to make hard decisions, but is ultimately you know the one that's in charge, right? Um, so I, I do like the change in perspective, right? Yeah, same. I mean, like I was saying before, like I think that you know all the shows that came before it, you know, as good as they were, but beginning sort of with Deep Space Nine. Voyager and then into Enterprise, they all kind of followed that same. It felt like to me they were all cut from the same cookie cutter. You know, mm. we got to have. It's almost like they like a better way of putting it. They templatized it. We got to have our captain. We got to have our doctor. We've got to have our alien who will comment on. You know, who will be a mirror for humanity. We've got to have. So we got to have our comic relief. So they all kind of felt like they were following the same sort of. You know, template. Whereas this one, it's it's completely from a different point of view, which I obviously you know can truly appreciate. 
Um, she's the first officer of the Shenzhou. Her, she's reports to to Captain Philippa Giorgio, mm-hmm. and it opens up with them on that desert planet, which yeah. at first I thought might have been Vulcan. Oh, right. Considering the fact that she was raised by Vulcans, I thought, are they on Vulcan? Um, Makes sense. Until we saw the locals of that. Until we saw the locals. Which was, I'd say, effects wise, yeah. that creature was really fantastic looking. Design well, really, and the way it carried out. I mean, it didn't add a single thing to the show, right. but it was a, it was a really I mean, nice it, looking character. Throughout that franchise's history, I mean, really think about it. How often have you seen a truly, truly alien looking creature? No, it's a human with you know, some small a, change to. It's them. a human with a, with some kind of you know prosthetic over their forehead or just maybe their entire body or but antlers, antlers, and they walk and they speak human and you know fine, but yeah, lots of humanoids, <laughs> you know. Um, Except when they go to the complete other end. Well, they show they they they. I mean, they convinced me that space. You know, it's gonna it's we're gonna find a lot of people like us up there, which bugged me about Enterprise, right? In a okay. Way. Um, again, not to stray too far off topic, mm. but. You know, the emphasis on Enterprise was that this is the first crew to really kind of go out, really go out into space and really see what's out there beyond our own solar system. And I think by, the, and I know by then they've encountered a couple of alien species. You know, they, obviously they're the Vulcans, they have mm-hmm. the Denobulans. But there's an episode of that show later on in the first season, oddly, it features a desert. It's called Desert Crossing. Oh, yes. Do you know the one I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And the aliens of the uh, of the week, really, I mean, they're humans, but they have, like, tattoos, I think, like, they're, like, under their mouths. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, by, by like, by, by this point, you know, if you are the, the first humans to go out there, there doesn't seem to be a single comment about, wow, they look exactly like we do. Right. Yes. Um, though I would just push back a little Which... bit for Enterprise... The one thing that I thought was very f- f- fun about yeah. Enterprise was the the underwater Zindi. Yes. And the fact that they had a ship where uh, you would have to take... Mm-hmm. Right, so what do we do with a ship? We have to breathe, so we take the environment of Earth with us and reproduce it. So they had right. these underwater Zindi who had their ship, and they were taking right. the environment of their planet, which was some water-based environment, and, and having that. That was very interesting. Uh, that was kind of fun. And then I would point to one of... The really fun episodes with the copper-based life form in right. uh, the original series. Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, they managed to do it, but like, I feel like they didn't do it. I mean, we got to see the first time what a full-bodied Tholian looked like mm. in Enterprise, That's which right. I think is you know fantastic. Because up to that point, there was a lot of speculation when we see them in the original series. You know, are they humanoid and they're just wearing a helmet? Like, mm. you know. Um, but I love the fact that this show is really trying to depict true. You know, aliens. I mean, the other main character on the show, Saru, is a perfect example. I mean, yes, he is a humanoid, but, you know, he's about seven feet tall. He's freakishly thin, mm-hmm. and he's got a strange kind of walk about him. He has an alien type of walk about him. I mean, if you see it, yes. you know, not to jump ahead, but in the most recent episode, it's much. It's very obvious the way he kind of... He has a kind of, as Doug Jones has put it in his interviews, a kind of supermodel type of walk, where, like, his body kind of thrusts forward... But his arms kind of hang behind him mm. at his sides. Yes, and his arms are also freakishly long. Yeah, Doug Jones is a tall, Doug Jones is a tall guy, and he's got hoops. Like his feet are hoops. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, Interesting. I looked up. He's like six four, Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. But but again, I like there's a, there's an attention to detail about this show that I that I really really like. That they are really kind of 
making the effort to make to pick like true aliens. And again, I think mm-hmm. that speaks be- that speaks more on the that kind of speaks to the the Klingon redesign. Right, they do look much more alien. They, they look, look much, much more, more um, you know, intimidating and foreign from from yeah. human. Um, that is true. Yeah. Um, now the opening scene in the desert with mm-hmm. Philippa and um, uh, Michael. Michael. Yeah. I I some of their dialogue, you know, you you started to get to know them. You saw the yeah. respect that they had for each other. Um, some of the dialogue seemed a little um, kind of stilted and yeah. unnatural, but. There you know. was and there was that immediate Star Trek trope where the tra- they said the transporter wasn't going to be able to pick us up. Yes, and we're immediate. Like, oh, um, right. So uh, I know we've talked about this a lot, but it is always in Star Trek that te- they have so much technology that uh-huh. there always needs to be some reason that they cannot use the technology that well, they want. Well, the transporter, as from what I've seen, you know, Into Darkness was the biggest offender of this. The transporter only works when the plot requires it to. Yes, where I think the best way to do it is the you transporter know. doesn't work when the plot requires it right. to not work. Right. Or Enterprise, where just we don't have transporters. Yet. We don't have transporters yet. Yes, but even despite the fact that they say they don't like to use them or they're afraid to use them, they do. They do it anyway. Yeah, they, they rescue Archer with it in the first. Yes, episode. but it's a life or death situation. Yes, it's better to yes. risk dying in the um, transporter. And you know, the opening scene somewhat reminded me of. Um, the opening scene to, again, to go back to Into Darkness. Mm. When, because, you know, Burnham mentions that they're on the planet to fix that well because their water table has collapsed and, you know, they may not live much longer. Right. So they are there to kind of fix that, and as Burnham mentions, without violating General Order 1. Which becomes which the, the Prime Directive. Which is the Prime Directive. Um, now, that confused me, that whole situation, because yeah. are they not interfering? They're interfering without sort of making contact or having any sort of, I guess, they're not affecting the, the evolution of their species, I guess. But I mean, maybe in a way they are, because... If they're know, preventing them from extinction. That is, yeah. I, yeah, well, good point. Good point. I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, neither do I. I have no idea. Maybe Star, Starfleet is not as... Um, I mean, they have a well there to begin with. Yes. Did those creatures make it, or did the humans do it? Right. Hopefully those creatures made it, and they're yeah. just fixing the well. And no one will ever know the well was no fixed. No one will ever know the well was fixed. I mean, that's an interesting question. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Although... Know, I can't really speculate. Fully. They may evolve to um, worship the Starfleet symbol one day. Well, that's what I mean. In the opening of Into Darkness, I mean, they're on a, you know, a pre-warp civil... They're on a pre-warp... They encounter a pre-warp civilization. They try to keep themselves um, concealed. But it's a similar case. That species was close to extinction. The volcano was going to erupt. And so the whole point of the Enterprise crew to go down on the planet was to stop it from happening by detonating a cold fusion device to prevent the volcano from erupting. It's true. Which it did. So, in a way, they also interfered with the evolution of their species Mm. by preventing their extinction. Both are potential natural disasters. Exactly, and so the bigger question is, you know, what sort of are the what are the guidelines of this prime directive? Which you know, it's it's you know, it's very it's it's odd, right? In a way. And, and and we don't know at this time it may be different than right. how we know it. I mean, don't for, later. I mean, don't forget. I mean, and it's weird because Enterprise, while the prime directive did not exist yet, there was that episode, Dear Doctor, where they there's that often regarded as the best episode of the series, where they encounter those people who are very sick. 
Phlox develops a cure for their disease, mm. but there's that ethical debate between him and Archer about whether he should give it to them or not. Because if he does, they're going to affect the evolution of their species. So they end up not doing it. Right. But and they give them something to help. I think they kind of start them on the path. Right. They help them you know, develop a cure, which could develop a cure later on. Mm-hmm. But and given my my desire to see Archer in everything in every show, I'm yes. sure that it was that experience between him, he and Fox that well, if you remember, that evolved it, into the Prime Directive. Well, if you remember, it ends with him saying, you know, one day my people are going to come up with a doctorate that can, you know, that will kind of dictate what we can and can't do out here. And I remember he says. But until that directive is drafted, mm, uh, nice hand you know, drop. Um, so it's odd. Enterprise kind of upholds a non-existent prime directive, whereas right, you know, more of Archer's yeah in uh, um, just inner sense of right and wrong in the right. galaxy. Um, but aside from that, you know, it was interesting opening. You know. Again, those aliens, who, again, off the top of my head, I cannot recall the names of them. No, yeah. they had eggs. I know they, they had, had eggs. eggs. They had eggs, yeah. Um, to which point they are brought upon the, you know, we get to see the Shenzhou for the first time, which, as I, which I have said many times before this podcast, because nobody would know this, um, and the Shenzhou, in my opinion, um, is a very, I love the design of it, and to me, I always looked at it as a sort of natural extension of what the NX-01 Enterprise was. They, uh-huh. It does seem to be like an, you know, an evolution of that design. Yeah, I, I love the NX-01. Yeah. And I do like like the Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. Good looking ship. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Now, so the, there was a silly factor to the first scene mm-hmm. in that they're, so they're, they can't be beamed aboard. Yeah. They cannot get a lock on their position. But they can see a giant Starfleet symbol in the center. A giant Starfleet arrow, yeah, which I commented on but at the time, but I just kind of thought, you know, in a way you kind of have to forgo the, the logic in order to make a very cool opening scene, I guess. Yes. But, you know. But she's brought aboard the Shenzhou, which we learn is a much older vessel. Yes. Um... Which strangely it doesn't look like that. It, to me, it looks brand new. Um, and did you notice at any point in uh, Captain Giorgio's ready room? She had a bottle of Chateau Picard. I, I did not notice back. it during the episode. I saw yeah. that around later. Yeah. Which and she also has a three D chess set. Which oh, I, noticed. I did notice that. Yes. Well, so two things on the Chateau Picard. Um, it is strangely uh, casts two different points of view on the, the show creators and, and producers mm-hmm. in that what a fun little detail yep but then on the extreme zoom the year was it was made a hundred years after the show was set so what a great little detail with a well, completely I, overlooked little detail well I, the thing is you know it's established in next gen that Picard's family does run a wine vineyard but I don't know if I, off the top of my head I'd have to look at you know a wiki or something but I don't know. If, I don't think we know how far back that extends. How long the family has been doing that? Right. You know. No. Well, what I mean is the the year on the bottle was a hundred years after the episode was set. Oh, I didn't notice that. Was it? Yeah. So what was it like twenty three? Something like that. Yes. But you know what? On a normal viewing, I'm sure you would not even see the year. Temporal so Temporal Cold War. Probably that's true. It could be temporal the Cold War. Yeah, it's the it's those. Um, 
It's the time police dropped it off. The 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 other thing that I was I was hoping I'd be surprised by now. I tried before the episodes aired. I tried to avoid as many spoilers as possible. And I think I did a pretty good job. Um, in previous shows, the the first episode it's always sort of handed off by um, there's always a handoff. You there's, in a, there's a, yeah. a crossover of a character from Picard a previous on Deep Space Nine. series. Uh, McCoy on Encounter at Farpoint. I mean, even in some ways, the original series, Spock from the Cage, even despite the fact that he's a regular. Um, McCoy in Encounter at Farpoint. Picard mm-hmm. in Emissary. Quark was on Care- in Caretaker. And Zephram Cochran from First Contact was on Enterprise. Oh, yes. Zephram yes. Cochran. So. We have not heard his name dropped yet. No. Do you think we'll hear it before the series is up? I mean, maybe. I don't know in what sense. Yeah. Um. I do, I do know. I do know a Terra Cochrane is a measuring unit in the Star Trek universe, <laughs> so maybe that. Okay. Um, but given the fact that Michael Burnham's background is a human raised on Vulcan by Sarek, Spock's father, I mean, I guess you could maybe count him, but he is kind of regular on the show. That's a fair point. I mean, I, he is a character that yeah. has been in. Yeah. I and think about it is similarly to um, Picard. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's sort of delivering. True. Um, and also, we have Sarek is delivering in the flashback Michael Burnham. But given the fact that there was an emphasis on her Vulcan background, I, I was sort of hoping maybe, you know, we could see T'Pol. I, I thought that T'Pol could be the most likely candidate only because Vulcans do live much longer than humans. Now, humans in the Trek timeline do live a long time as well. You know, evidenced by McCoy being in the episode of uh, the first episode of Next Generation, right? Which makes me hold out hope for Archer, right? Um, but now I think Archer is going to be the most likely one, if any. Mm-hmm. I think there are there are kind of there are a couple things going for it. I did read bef- I did read earlier today that Scott Bakula said he was open to appearing on the show. Nice, right? Scott Bakula is also on another CBS series, so he's in the CBS so it means family. he's sort of in the he's probably in the, in the studio. He's probably family. right. You know, a hundred yards down the lot. Well, the show shoots in Canada, so they're probably in L.A. Um, And, yeah, um, he is, you know, humans do live a long time. But, I will say this. um, There is, so in the Enterprise, that that amazing two-parter in a mirror darkly that takes place in the mirror universe, Mm -hmm. um, the evil counterparts of that time, when they're on the USS Defiant decide to kind of look at the Starfleet profiles of their um, counterparts from the other universe. And they come across, and they look at Archers from the prime, as the prime timeline, as it were. Now, I don't know if it's meant to... I don't know if it is canon. People seem to consider it canon. At least Memory Alpha does, which is the Trek wiki. Um, the guy who wrote, up, who wrote up a bunch of stuff, his name is Mike Sussman. He's a, he was a writer on the show... Um, for Archer's profile, it actually goes into, and the graphics are readable on Memory Alpha. You can actually see this because mm-hmm. um, they appear up on the screen in the show briefly. I don't think you can really read it in the show. But he wrote up a whole history on what happens to Archer after Enterprise. Interesting. So it's established that, um, and again, I feel like it's debatable if this is canon or not, and I feel like 
it may run the risk of being decanonized, especially given how things are going in Hollywood these days, and they decide to make selective sequels. The new Halloween movie, I'm looking at you. Um, uh, it's established that he becomes the first Federation president, which I can believe, because as we saw how the series ended, I can believe that. Mm-hmm. He reads the charter. But the other thing is that um, it, it says in that sort of on-screen graphic of his profile that he... that. Captain, that Jonathan Archer died the day after the Enterprise, NCC-1701, was was launched. Yeah. Now, where we are in the timeline with Discovery, um, given that it's ten years before the original series takes place, right? If you think of the original series, The Menagerie, when they're looking, when they are essentially watching the pilot, the original pilot, The Cage, that's thirteen years before that episode. Right. So by the time Discovery yeah. begins, that was three years ago. <clears throat> right. So. And now Christopher Pike was not the first captain of the Enterprise either. Okay. So you you're saying Robert Archer should be, should be long dead, according Archer to Archer should be long dead. But that doesn't mean that Bacula still can't appear. I mean, it could be a, you know, there could be a recording, a holographic recording of yeah. him or something. Um, now, I'm going to bring in my that's if, they, that's if they take that into consideration. Yeah, I They probably will not. They will not. Yeah. Because if Bakula's going to do it and they want to do it, I think they'll just do it. Yes. It's one of those details that I think not many people know. Or right. it's not a huge thing. Actually, so you mentioned that I'm a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. And even the, the, the Pablo Hidalgo, who is the keeper of the Star Wars canon. Right. Um, even Star Wars has recently stepped back from their strict adherence to canon. Mm-hmm. And sort of said, yeah... The big ideas happened, and we don't want to bought, like weigh ourselves down with the details. So don't right. worry too much about how old people are or what years things happened, because right. we just want to tell the best story that we can. Right. So I, I, I expect that that if it makes sense for the story, Bacula's down, they'll do it. Right. And you know, unfortunately, uh, canon kind of ruins things sometimes. Yes. It's Trump, fun if it's you have fun. the kind of mind yes. that wants to know all these tiny details, which I think both well, of us do for different things. And as a lifelong Trek fan, I will say, every time a new series or movie is announced, canon is number one on everybody's priority. Mm-hmm. Every fan says, wants to know, is or they, they look for canon violations, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's like, with, with the first Abrams film, you know, even though it's technically an alternate universe... If that was the prime timeline, I wouldn't give a shit. I, I mean, I know that that I know that that would not follow, canon. right? Right. I know that that would be the case, but I wouldn't care. Right. I, I mean, I will say I am not that kind of Trek fan. Yeah, I'm not that you kind know? of anything. I mean, look, if they violate, if they make like huge canon violations, then I'm gonna be like, well, wait, what? You know, right? Like, like glaring obvious errors. Yes. Right. But. If it seems like an intentional, we're, we're choosing this because this is the story we want to tell, and right. we think this is going to be the best story, right. then I'm fine with that. Right. I mean, yeah, canon violation. But when this show, when Discovery was announced and they said it's going to take place ten years before the original series, I noticed that, and you probably noticed it too, every Trek fan, except for me, sorry. Um, <laughs> and many of you out there, I'm sure. Yes. Um, Everyone had the same exact... Everybody was asking the same questions about this one and raising the same concerns as they did with Enterprise when that show was announced. Which In is... that, you know, is it going to follow canon? Is it going to establish... Is it going to adhere to established canon? 
we can't see Romulans. We're not right. supposed to see Romulans. And it's like, well, fine. Yes, the characters aren't, but we can. The audience, we can see them. Mm. And, you know, canon to me, it's just... Look, I love the fact that we have it. You know, I don't watch the show looking for canon violations. That's going to ruin the experience for me. Oh, absolutely. You know, and look, if Archer is, appears on the show, then... I'm 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 ecstatic. No angry tweets from Kevin on no Archer's no angry appearance. tweets. In fact, they will be very. I will tweet directly to the writers of the show, and say, "Nice job. I'm glad that he appeared on the show." And again, I think it's most likely simply because he's in the CBS family, and CBS may say, "Make him appear. On the, make it work somehow." Yes, you know? if he appears, I'm going to tweet directly at Scott Bakula. I hope I look as fantastic as you. Unless it's unless I mean. Had we seen Archer die on screen, it's kind of like, that's kind of the rule on track. If it didn't happen on screen, then it didn't happen at all. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Like, yes, a tiny thing on a, on a view screen. Right. Probably doesn't Which, matter. Just like the bottle of Chateau Picard, probably doesn't matter. Probably doesn't matter. Right. Um... So, let's move on to the sort of main plot thrust of the two episodes, which would be this the beginnings of this war with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we, we established that we're, there's a ceasefire or a truce in play, some sort of a, yep. a pact between the Klingons and the Federation, um, establishing sort of a, we won't bother you and you don't bother mm-hmm. us, yep. you stay out of our space, we'll stay out of your space. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shenzo is on some type of a scientific mission when it spots uh, an unknown object. Yeah. An object of unknown origin. An object of unknown origin that is scrambled mm-hmm. on their viewers and, right. and sensors and whatnot uh, in a very intentional looking way. Sort of like pixels dancing around. Yeah, yeah. Right. And of course, the scientist in all of these characters kicks in and they want to know more. Right. And we have Michael. Uh, takes a very Spock-like journey um, with her jetpack. What I find... Reminded me of the motion picture quite a bit. With the... Oh, yeah, it's yeah. Very nice. Yeah, and she calls it a thruster. It's a thr- And the motion picture is a thruster suit. Nice. Yeah, she calls it... I mean, I don't think she calls it a thruster suit specifically, but I know the word thruster was in there. Um, the interesting thing that I found was that... Um, I said before the show began, it's established that this is 105 years... When they give you the year, that means they give us the year, it's 2256, mm. which is 105 years after the beginning of Enterprise, right? It's mentioned in dialogue that there has been no, there's been barely any contact with the Klingons for over a century. Okay. Right? Which I found very interesting. Because what, what does that tell us? Because again, that goes back to Enterprise again. Yes. I, w- I mean, I, this is just purely speculation. I do wonder if after that two-part episode of Enterprise, mm-hmm. when the Klingons are experimenting with the Augment virus, mm-hmm. and their forehead, and they smoothen, and their forehead becomes smoothened as a result, right. did they potentially adopt a sort of isolationist policy amongst themselves and sort of go into a bit of hiding? It definitely seems possible. I mean, from the state that... Of the Klingons that we get from all that very slow Klingon dialogue, mm. um, there's division, um, the great houses are all separate, there's right. no unity in the Klingon Empire. Um, it's a similar feel in, there's a Next Generation episode called The Neutral Zone, mm. 
which features the Romulans. And Next Generation establishes that the Romulans, there's been no contact with the Romulan Empire for about 60 years. Right. And they finally have contact with them again in that episode, and it ends with the Romulans saying to Picard, we're back. Oh, yes, I remember this. So, and I'm thinking it's a very similar, to me yeah. it seems like a very similar situation. It seems situation. like neutral zone violations play into yes. a lot of... Yes. Plots. Um, and it had been hinted over the years in the original series that there was some kind of war with the Klingons, right, mm -hmm. um, in the past. This seems to me has gone from, it's gone from a sort of cold war to a hot war. Yes. Now, here's something. Mm. Um, do you think that this was intentional entrapment by this group of Klingons? That they wanted war? Well, yeah, I think he definitely wanted war, but do you think this that they were luring them there, or was this just a happenstance they stumbled upon it, do you think? That's a guy, you know, I don't know about that. I, I don't know if I, I can't really, I never really thought of it that way. Um, I mean, they do say that they're on the edges of Federation space. Mm. Um, and so, you know, potentially. Right. Because um, I did find it very odd so she she thrusts her way over mm -hmm. she's checking out this amazing um thruster pack she called it thruster pack yes so she's checking out the ship she or she doesn't know what it is it seems almost like a sculpture a monument in space and she's yes. checking it out sending back the details um and then suddenly there's a klingon warrior in a space suit there which really when I saw it... As you joked, stay... It's, just, it's like the Klingon, stay here in case somebody shows up. <laughs> yes, stay here in case someone thrusts over. <laughs> just wait. Right. Millennia, if need be, but someone might thrust onto this. Um, you know, it's not a bad theory. I do wonder about that. You know, I try to look for sort of... You know, as Trek has established over the, over the years, you know, they try to make an allegory for the real world. And as you may know, the Klingons at one point were an allegory for the Russians. Yeah, Cold Soviet War. Union. But, in this case, with that theory in mind, it's almost like now the Klingons are sort of a stand-in for North Korea. They are trying to, they want to go to war, and they're trying to sort of incite a war, but, you know, want somebody else to fire first. Mm. Or spill blood first. Which, we did. You know, the Klingons may have shot first, but we killed... She killed that Klingon first. Well... She spilled the right. first blood. She involuntarily manslaughtered that yes. Klingon first. Maybe so. Involuntarily. Yes. The Klingons don't see it that way. Right. But, so, that's interesting, though, because now what you're saying is that if Michael Burnham had... So now we're jumping ahead a little bit, but if Michael Burnham had followed her... Uh, Vulcan logic mm -hmm. and her knowledge of Klingons right. and fired first, she would have actually been playing directly into their hands? Yes. Okay, so that's interesting because this is where I found a stumbling block in the logic of the start of the war mm -hmm. was I couldn't tell if, if we as the audience were supposed to think Michael Burnham you're right and if only you had been allowed to, um, you know, follow your plan, this you could have avoided this. Right. I think I sort of got the message that that's what I should be thinking, but I never thought it because I, I sort of thought you're talking about the Vulcans firing first. Yes, yeah, I if she established, which was very odd to me. I thought it was very odd, and I yeah. feel that if the if the Shenzo had fired first, I don't believe that the Klingons would have said, 
I like the cut of these Federation people's jib. Yeah. Let's be friends. I mean, I was as I do all as I do all the time, and I shouldn't do. Um, I was sort of arguing with somebody on a message board about this, mm-hmm. about the whole idea that the Vulcans fight first, and that uh, the Klingons, you know, developed respect for them. You know, they say that that was about. I think they say it was. She says it was like it was two hundred and forty years ago. Mm-hmm. And the person I was arguing with was like, "Well, clearly the writers didn't watch Enterprise." And I said, well, that was 240 years ago. I said, you don't know what the state of the universe... I said, humans weren't spacefaring yet. We don't know what the state of the universe was at the time. Right. Things were probably a lot different back then. Right. Well, that would also imply, though, Michael Burnham should have known whatever had transpired since then. Right. Right. Um, Yeah, I thought it was a very odd line of dialogue. It was very. It was kind of strange because yeah. those aren't the, like. It's like, you know, and this is sort of going back to the canon thing, I guess, which I don't mean it, mean for it to be, but it's like, those aren't the Vulcans I know. That's not the Vulcans I. Those aren't, that doesn't sound like the Vulcans I'm familiar with. Right. I mean, it's one of those things that at first glance you could, you know, oh, Klingons like war. They're right. warriors. They might respect another warrior. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. If you don't think too hard about it, right? It maybe makes sense. But I just never believed it enough. To then get behind the Michael Burnham character and all of her actions. Right. At best, it seemed like a hunch. Right. And even one that, even with her knowledge, there was no guarantee that that would have worked. No, and you know, it, and it is established on Enterprise that the Vulcans do have a dialogue with the Klingons. I don't think they really established like what, you know, whether it's a treaty or whatnot, or if they're enemies. But, you know, there's that episode when, when Archie gets captured and he's put on trial. It's basically the, the ripoff of Star Trek VI. Right. And, you know, T'Pol, uh, 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 Phlox tries to assure Archer that T'Pol and the Vulcan High Command are doing everything they can to rally for his release, to negotiate his release. So I do wonder, you know, does that, you know, the Vulcans firing first on the Klingons, does that fall into place with, you know, does that line up with, you know, that sort of, you know, thinking on Enterprise, you know. Yeah, well, what is what is the true relationship between the Vulcans and the Klingons? Assuming that that all lines up well, yeah. Given that we've been on the Klingon ship here and we've heard this Klingon leader, and he he's clearly is dead set for war against the Federation, and I don't feel that firing first or anything that those that the Shenzhou mm. could have done would have prevented that. So it is strange that we're we're set on this dramatic moment of Burnham sticking up for what she believes, yet we know there's mm-hmm. no, doesn't seem to be any way that would have But you do, so you're, what you're saying is you feel like had the Shenzhou fired first, it would not have resulted in um, the Klingons developing respect for them. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, he, this, this Klingon leader, Goldie, I wish I remembered his name, um, he... We'll call him Goldie. <laughs> he, he was dead set on war. He was right. all riled up about the... I think for him, again, to go back to the North Korea thing, it's like, it's sort of like, he was sort of like, give me a reason. Give yes. me a reason to right. go to war with somebody. Firing first is a great reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of, yeah. And, and okay, here's another thing. Okay, firing first is so great. Well, they killed one of your warriors first. That's even better. So right. I found that the logic there didn't fit right. for me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So, 
yeah, and so I have trouble like figuring out how an entire war began from from this. Yeah, I mean, I could just fill in something else where you did have yeah. this guy, the Bogoldi. He was uniting the houses. He wanted to go to war. He fired. He, you know, it, the big picture makes sense. It's the smaller details that didn't right. work. Right. Yeah. So. The battle of the binary stars at the binary star system finally breaks up. Yes, it does. Yeah, and Goldie, as his name is Takumva, they Giorgio and um, Michael Burnham, Giorgio and Burnham uh, hatch a plan to try to capture him. Right? Yes, they're going to capture him because if they kill him, he will become a martyr and will unite the houses of Klingons mm-hmm. and ensure perpetual war. Right. And if they capture him, he will be humiliated. There is no greater dishonor to a Klingon, they say, right. than being ca- a prisoner of war. Now that, to me, does sound very Klingon. That sounds extremely That's extremely, Klingon. extremely That's classic, Klingon. yes. Yes. Um, the, yeah, the, the uh, Federation fleet shows up. Uh, it's about 13 ships, which, by the way, I will point out really quickly. Um, I noticed this on my like third rewatch. So when those starships arrive... The helm officer is na- is naming all of them. Among them are the USS Shran. Shran, uh, what a fun fun character! Which we can interpret that as being named after the Andorian, right? Or Enterprise, potentially. The writers having some fun. Yes. Whether it is literally named um, after Shran or not, but and the other one, the USS Edison. Now right. look, it could be named for Thomas Edison. Could be named for Thomas. Edison. My nerd head. My nerd brain likes to think it's Balthazar Edison, the right. Starfleet captain. Because at that point, Star Trek he would have still been a lost captain that was a hero. Which makes me wonder, where is he in this timeline? Has he been found yet? Well, no, right? Because, oh, this timeline. In this timeline. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. They both share the Enterprise uh, continuity. Right, but right. The split yeah, came but after splits, that. right. Yeah. Um, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, but that, that's, that, those were fun. Any other fun ship names? Uh, not that I noticed offhand. Um, no, not that I noticed. It. Not, no, yeah. those two jumped out at me immediately. The USS Porthos. No, I, I will. I will confess that you know when the ships did arrive, I was looking for the Enterprise or a ship that looked like it, but yeah, no familiar ship designs like a, at all. A rusty NX01. No, I mean puttering up to the battle. <laughs> no. Well, I was thinking the NCC-1701, because it is in service by then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, n- and no familiar Starship designs at all. All, all brand new. Yeah, again, yeah. that's fun. Um, but, yeah, so the battle begins, and so we are officially now at war with the Klingons. Right, and not only we're at war, but, man, we're at war. We're at war. I mean, that was, um, like, the the fleet against the, the Borg, Mm-hmm. Type that uh, was uh, firepower. That was Wolf three five nine. That was just pew, 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 everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. That was Wolf three five nine all over again. Yeah. yeah, that was intense. We see the destruction of the admiral ship, the USS Europa, um, which did have a little bit of a USS Reliant design to it. I will, I did point out. Um, but you know, it makes me wonder, you know, where this is going to go. You know, because even in the following episode, obviously, we didn't see anything. You know. Obviously, it was spoken of, but you know, is it going to be like you know skirmishes every now every now and then, or does it, or is it going to sort of you know, devolve you know de-evolve back into a cold war? 
Because by the time the original series comes about ten years later, they are sort of back at this sort of Cold War stalemate state. Right. You know? Is this a prelude to a much larger conflict, or is this sort of like... kind of a warning? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like this is the first battle of a long, hard-fought war. That was the impression that I got. Yeah. Um, You now have a united... Uh, Klingon Empire, mm-hmm. once again, they had now they have their martyr who yep. united them and then was, you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. in their eyes, tragically and unjustly killed by the Federation. Yes. Yep. Um, so I think that uh, this is the first of um, many battles to come. It makes me wonder if this is going to escalate to include all of the Federation. So, in other words, are we going to see the Andorians? I really hope so because are we gonna see I the really like the Andorians. Are we going to see the Tellarites? But. Look, if we see those filthy Andorians, as the Klingons put it, I love that. There is, there is my, there is the inner Trekkie in me to say, "Oh, is Shran still around?" I don't know. Yeah, we, I don't know if we have any info on the life. I don't. Span I don't. I don't. I can't. I don't know what the lifespan of an Andorian is. I will say, but you know, that's he's on my list of people I would like to see appear. I would like to see Shran as well. Um, uh, and don't forget, you know, a century before this is the Earth Romulan War. Which is established as happening uh, in Balance of Terror. Mm-hmm. So, but this, so it seems very similar in that sense. We don't really know how that war got started. We kind of do, mm-hmm. but um, you know, my 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 biggest question is, you know, is this going to be sort of like a Deep Space Nine Dominion War, where it's skirmish after skirmish after skirmish? Yes. Fleets of ships attacking every which way, every outpost. You know, is it going to be like that? Right. Or is it, yeah, is it going to be a little bit more of a Cold War? Right. Are we going to see more of the diplomacy angle or the Mm -hmm. other types of attempts? Or are we just going to see ships lasering each other? Yeah. Because if we do, I mean, yeah, we've seen that already, sort of, with the Dominion War. Right? Yes. Um... The interesting thing is that the in the character breakdown of Captain Philippa Georgia, Giorgio, excuse me, um, she is painted as a war vet. She is a war veteran. So she's a war veteran because she fought in that battle and died, or she's a war veteran because of something before Discovery started? As something from before. Okay. Yeah. So it's questionable what that could be because if it, it can't be the Earth Romulan War because that's about a century prior to this. It can't be the Zindi War. She looked too young. No, um, the Earth Romulan War would have potentially probably been season five of the. Oh, Universe. okay, right. So even later. So yeah. we would have seen that. Um, so it's interesting to see what that could be, um, but yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see where this sort of goes on and what role the you know the USS Discovery will play in all of this. Right. Will the Discovery... Which we have not seen yet. We have not seen yet, which was the interesting thing about this. As of this recording, we have, but, right, but we are not talking we about that much. episode yet. Yes. Um, yeah. So, but that's why I said this felt more like a prequel. Um, right. And yeah, will the Discovery be a... Um, and, and even though we've seen the third episode, we still don't know very much. Right. So will, will the... If anything, it leads it opening more questions. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, will will the discovery be engaging in battle with mm-hmm. Klingon ships, or will it just be doing 
yeah. some mysterious... Yeah, um, I mean, look, I know I say I try not to be a stickler for continuity, but the fact that the Klingons in the original series and all of their movies were the big baddies, and, you know, it ended with Six with them, you know, uh, establishing a the beginnings of a peace treaty. Mm-hmm. We never really... I mean, yeah... I mean, you have to think about, about it this way. There were skirmishes in those movies between Starfleet and Klingon ships. Oh, yes. Right? But they were never really... There was no, like, dec- that we knew of. There was no, like... There was no declaration of war as we saw it. Right. It was more the Enterprise and Kirk versus some captain. Right. Or something. I mean, the Klingons are the big villains in Star Trek Three, mm-hmm. With Christopher Lloyd's character playing Krug. Fantastic character. Um... But yeah, even that is just more of a Kirk the, versus Krug. Right. The, and the Klingons kill his son. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the after effects of that are felt in Star Trek IV, when the Klingon ambassador is talking to the Federation Council, demanding, you know, for Kirk's capture and arrest and, you know, being turned over to the Klingon Empire, despite the fact that the uh, Sarek establishes that the Klingons spilled the first blood in the search for the Genesis device. Yes. Um, and Sarek has a great line because, you know, it's established that the Klingons have, you know, have killed Kirk's son, they've destroyed a Federation starship, and, you know, the Klingon ambassador says, you know, we have the right to preserve our race. And Sarek says, what, you have the, he says, you have the right to commit murder? Mm. But there's still no declaration of war. The Klingons were the villain in Star Trek V. Mm-hmm. Villains in Star Trek V. Still, no declaration of war. Star Trek VI. <laughs> I feel like in VI, by the time VI came... It was either war with the Klingons or a peace treaty. Like yeah, it was, was kind of kind of going in any, right. any any it could go in any direction. And again, that's when we really had the, this was the eighties. This was really the Soviet Union, United States exactly. analogy, right? Writ large. So I'm gonna I'm wondering where these where these Klingons are. I still feel like that you know in today in in this day and age they are for me they are right now sort of like what North Korea is. The only difference is we have no, we are now actually at war with them. Right, which yeah. is interesting. And, uh, and the so, uniting. So it's almost like the uniting of North and South. <clears throat> right. If you want to look at it that way. Yeah, right? I think that's a modern world analogy to watch and see what happens. Only because this North Korea kind of ebbs and flows in, in its threats to us. And right. it's been recently, it's been very hot, so it's on our minds. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, when they were writing the show, it was what, two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. So maybe it wasn't as much. I, if anything, I would expect to see more of a, a terrorist mm-hmm. analogy right? in some way. I'm looking for that. I haven't seen it yet, but that's right. kind of what I would expect. Yeah. Um, and, you know, is Michael Burnham the one painted as being the one solely responsible for this war breaking up? To the Klingons? Yeah. Right. You know. It seems that... In their minds, uh, is the Federation a, as a, an entity. Right. Because that was certainly a lot of his um, rhetoric was anti-Federation. Mm-hmm. We come in peace and all their talking about all their kind of uh, misrepresentation and right. um, the way they've been put upon by the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really... And again, you know, I keep saying, but I want to see how this leads to, again, to be a continuity person, where, how this leads to what the relationship is between the Federation and the Klingon Empire by the time we reach the original series. You know, is this, again, just one skirmish? Right. 
Right. Because um, certainly... Right, so is your question sort of, is this war going to be the focus of this series? I know it's going to be the focus of this season, at the very least. Mm-hmm. But, you know, does that mean that... Again, it's, it's anybody's guess at this point, but... Does that mean when the season ends that the war's over? Right. Or is, or going to be something to sort of, or is that going to be? Or is it going to be something that just sort of continues in the background somewhere? Right, as a sort of a cold war analogy, right. or a war on terror analogy. Right. And um, um, it will be interesting to see. Or you know, it could be because I don't think it's as a, to my memory, to my recollection, it's not it's not established in this episode. Does this lead to the Klingon neutral zone? Does this eventually establish... Because there, 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 was, there was a neutral zone at that point in the original series between the Romulans, and there was also one with the Klingons. Oh, right. So in this, it just says we're on the edge of Federation space. And the Romulan neutral zone is a result of the Romulan War. And they don't mention any neutral zone in this. No. In, in, in Discovery. They the Romulan neutral zone is mentioned many times throughout all the... And that's, you know, and that's still established as far as it goes even into Nemesis. The Romulan neutral zone is still in existence. Right. There is a Klingon neutral zone. Right. Does that come out of this? It would make sense. Um, so you, I wonder, will we follow this uh, war to the to the peace treaty phase, where they say you stay, we, you know, we will not violate yeah, know, so this area of space. Like, yeah, the Rhineland of space is established. Right, and that could potentially lead into the odd Cold War era like tensions of the original series and the you know between. The Federation of the Klingon Empire. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I am hoping that... Um, and it's kind of confirmed already by the by the producers and whatnot and the writers, but um, not every episode of this season is going to focus on that. I mean, it's going to be sort of lingering in the background, but not every episode is going to be fully devoted to this Klingon war. Okay, you know? that's... Nice to hear, because I've seen... I would like to see some standalone stories. I don't expect we're going to get what, what we're used to for Trek, which right. is more uh, well, beginning, middle, and end of a story for each episode. Right. But I would like to see, um, you know, some elements of that. Unconfirmed, I believe, but Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander Riker, as we all know, uh, who was directing an episode this season, he had spilled the beans at a recent convention saying there is a Mirror Universe episode this season. Right. So here's where I have a prediction. Which, yeah. So my prediction is... Uh, that's where Archer appears. He could be alive in the Mirror Universe. That's true. Um, given the current state of television, mm-hmm. and given that this show clearly is not going to be one of um, beginning, middle, and end standalone episodes... Right. This is my prediction, and my hope, is that the Mirror Universe will somehow be a story point that will interact with the universe that we know and are seeing... Rather than what it has traditionally been, which is like, here's a weird Elseworld story of a well, alternate universe. The Ent- Enterprise was the it was the first time they did the Mirror Universe where it was there was no sort of crossover from one universe to the other. It was set solely in the Mirror Universe, and that was it. Mm. Beforehand, it was always somebody appearing from, you know, the Prime Universe, as we'll call it, going into the Mirror Universe. There's always some kind of crossover between them. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens if that ends up, you know. Um, so Jonathan Frakes has kind of, you know, let the cat out of the bag, as it were. Um, 
anyone's guess if it's true, but you know, it is confirmed he's going to be directing an episode this season. He has directed an episode this season. I think they just finished shooting the season, and he has directed an episode. I don't know which one. Um, he did say that there was going to be a Mirror Universe episode this season. Now, whether that's true or not, I'll kind of believe it when I see it. But, you know, is that a standalone episode? Does that play into the Klingon War in any way? Who knows? Um, the peaceful, um, science-based, optimistic Klingon Empire exploring potential. the Mirror Universe. And that's, you know, that's... Hey, there's where Captain Archer, Jonathan Archer appears. Oh, wait, no! No, never mind. Empress Hoshi... What went on to become Empress Hoshi? She, she killed Hoshi She killed Sato. Him, So never mind. I forgot about that. Yeah, so... So he, so he can appear. But the Defiant can reappear. If we can see Empress Hoshi Sato, I would be incredibly excited. But the fun thing about the Mirror Universe is that... You can do whatever the fuck you want. You, do it, you can do whatever the fuck do you want. That's the first want. swear of our podcast. Yes, there will be lots rain. more. Um, um, yeah, so that's the fun thing. And I think that... Maybe that... Especially that canon is more out the window there than anywhere else. Right, right. Allows that. The other... The other um, alleged, uh, you know, um, episode that's going to happen this season that I saw... Um, if it was on TrekCore, TrekMovie.com, is that the other standalone episode? Because one of my hopes with this series is, even though it's going to be very um, arc-driven and focused on the Klingon War, I still want to see, you know, the the Trek plots, the sci-fi Trek plots, as it were. And the other one that I heard they wanted, they were going to do, and again, who knows if it's true, is that there was going to be a very sort of Groundhog Day-like episode. Mm. Which brings to my mind that Next Generation episode, Cause and Effect. Right, when right. When the Enterprise is getting destroyed over and over yes. again. So and it's one of the best episodes of the series, in my opinion. Yeah, so that's fun. And I do like the idea of that. Yeah. Um, we can't... And luckily, we're not going to get any of those holodeck malfunction episodes, because there are no holodecks at this point right. that we know of. Right. So we're not going to get any of those. But I still want to see those sort of standalone Star Trek episodes. Yeah, with, a sci- be, with, a, with the true yeah. science fiction Right, plot. And, and heavy on the science and sci- So this is sort of a, a side thing, but um, I took a co- course in college. It was called um, Philosophy mm-hmm. Through Science Fiction. Yep. And every Friday, we would watch uh, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that mm-hmm. illustrated whatever philosophy topic we were on. Right. Uh, and then we'd have a discussion about it. And that was a fantastic class. And it was incredible just to see how effective The Next Generation was mm-hmm. at illustrating those kind of ideas. So I would definitely like to see that where um, they sort of are tackling a big concept or a big right. idea in, in this interesting way. So to begin to kind of bring this episode to an end... Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you told me you wanted to discuss before we did anything was address some of the hater comments or the things that haters are complaining about. Yes, I, fa- I found that in our conversations, uh, we often wind up talking about how much we are haters of haters. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it could be fun, and probably anyone that's going to spend uh, an hour or so listening to us talk about Star Trek is probably not a hater. So, you may also enjoy hearing us. They could be, and they'll find things wrong in, you know, yours or my logic and point them all right. out. Right, we'll have yeah. to create a Twitter soon so that people can yes. direct their angry tweets at us. Um, the biggest complaint, obviously, and I joked about it early on, is people having to pay for it. Having yes. to pay for CBS Alexis to watch this. But here's the thing. 
Now, this is something I've been fighting with people about in whether it's a Facebook comment section or in a message board. Something about this occurred to me the other day, actually. Yes, you have to pay to see it. But here's the thing. You've got to pay to see it right now. If you want to see it immediately, mm-hmm. you've got to pay for it right now. I mean, okay, it's never going to be free. Let's put this out there. It's never going to be free. All right? But it's at its most expensive because you can pay to see it immediately. Right. You have to assume that it's going to... It will make its way onto iTunes because the other CBS All Access series, The Good Fight, is on there. Okay. I think the season releases after the season ends on CBS All Access. Right. right? So you can pay for it there, uh-huh. right, if you want to. You can buy the whole season to own it. That's right. different because you can own it. That's right? In this case, you don't technically own it yet. Right. Um, it will eventually come out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. People will pay to buy that. People probably. have been buying you know? Star Trek Blu-rays and DVDs and VHS. Right. And so, by extension, maybe it'll go on the U.S. Netflix at some point. Right. Or maybe Amazon or Hulu. Right. Um, I would say that's less likely than airing on one of the CBS properties, right? Like television proper. Right. Simply because... I think it'll be on TV eventually, but like not, you know, years and years from now. Right, right. You know? I don't think it'll be on another streaming service simply no. because that would be poaching their own product. I, all right, let me put it this way. It'll be on another streaming service if CBS All Access fails. See, and that's another thing I want to... I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I, I, I will say this. I, at the moment... You know, every TV show I love, I always, you know, say to myself, I hope it lasts. I hope it doesn't get canceled. The Orville's a different story. I hope it does get canceled. I'm sorry to say. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Which I will get into in a second. We'll have to discuss which that. I will get into in, which I can get into quickly in a second. But, you know, personally, I don't see any risk with the show right now. Because it is airing. It's airing on TV in Canada. I think huh. it's airing on TV, um, you know, internationally. Mm-hmm. Canada's international, but it is airing on TV internationally, as well as Netflix, right? CBS made all their money back simply by selling it to those prop- to those properties, to those outlets. Yeah. Right? And, e- and even made a profit. Now, this is before the show even aired. Okay. Right? So... That's, that's, that's big. Now, as far as I am concerned, should the show... Should CBS All Access fail... Like, I'm not worried about the show being canceled or anything like that, because it, you, they can put it in other places. And plus, the way TV works these days, when one some, something gets canceled, somebody else seems to want to pick it up. And I can't imagine Amazon, Netflix, or Hulu letting a Star Trek show kind of slip through the cracks. Someone is going to grab it. Well, someone's going to grab it, but... Presuming CBS lets them. Right. That's yeah. the thing. And... They were trying to... Do you know when Enterprise was canceled in 2005? Mm-hmm. There was a campaign to even try to get Netflix to pick up the show. Now, Netflix was not even producing original right, programming right, back right. then. If that were now, and I remember, it would I, probably happen. And I remember Netflix saying, it's too expensive to produce. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, so that's sort of the thing right now with television, yeah. is that television is getting ridiculously expensive to produce. Well, see, and that's why people have to pay for the show. Exactly. Because, you know, people... <sighs> What I've been seeing in comment sections, they say, why isn't this on CBS, on the CBS network? Mm-hmm. And my argument for that, my argument for that is, it doesn't fit CBS's current profile. CBS's current profile is sitcoms and police and crime dramas. Yeah. 
A Star Trek show doesn't fit. Is CBS's current profile case in point? Good though. Well, the demographics for that network are much older, right? But what I was going to mention is case in point is a Supergirl. Yeah. Supergirl was on CBS. True story. They moved it to the CW. Because it couldn't work. Because it couldn't work work on CBS. CBS. Fantastic show. Well-regarded, well-reviewed. And yeah, they they couldn't sustain it. Now, you also have to look at it this way. If Discovery was, for whatever reason, moved to the CW, which CBS owns... I can almost guarantee you the budget of this show is gonna is gonna drop like a rock. Yeah, Supergirls did. Though I right. didn't. I have to say it wasn't. So I watched the show and I saw that happen, but yeah, it wasn't jarring. I mean, the 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 sets got less large. That was right. About it. Right. That's all I noticed. The one thing that I think everybody can agree on with Discovery is it looks. Fantastic. Looks excellent. Okay. It's it's it is I mean it is the Abrams films as a TV show, visually. Yes. Right. And um that's why you've got to pay for the damn thing. Definitely, definitely. You know, I mean plus CBS wants to make a profit, and you know, Trekkins are saying, Oh, I feel they're just using it to promote their own thing. Well, yeah. Yeah, so this <laughs> Next is Generation thing. kind of launched, you know, first there was no sci fi shows like that at first run syndication. Right. It was meant to kind of sell that. Voyager launched an entire network. Most of the time, we didn't. I mean, I know some in some parts of the country, UPN was not over the air. They had to, some places had to add it to their cable subscription okay. to see it. But Trek, and it was. And by the way, when they were going to make a Trek show in the seventies mm. called Phase Two, which eventually became the motion picture, they were going to launch a Paramount network even then, even as early as then. Okay. Trek has always been used as some kind of, traditionally, Anchor. some kind of launch pad for something. Yeah, yeah. Because it has that built-in audience. Right, right. And name recognition and excitement around right. it. Um, yeah, and, and here's the, the, the thing that is seemingly lost on people. I know we love the franchises we love. We love Star Trek. Right. I love Star Wars. I think of them, um, you know, beyond what they are. But every one of these is a product they are all products. Yep. They have to sell their products. They have to sell them. Now, when we were watching it on TV for quote-unquote free, we were watching advertising that went along with it that the network was selling. There's always been right. some way that it's making its money. Right. Um, so I don't think that it's it's outrageous to um, but to do that. And as we talk yeah. about haters, so I'm, I'm a, a huge fan of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Twin Peaks aired on um, CBS in early 90s. ABC. ABC? Mm-hmm. ABC. Sorry to correct you. Okay. No, ABC. that's good. Um, <laughs> so it aired on broadcast television for free. Uh-huh. It was gone for 25 years. It came back on Showtime, uh-huh. a pay network. And I did not hear any outrage from the fan community. I heard excitement. Oh, my God, we have more Twin Peaks. Right. And, and that's, what you, that's, that's what we should be hearing for Trek. I would think so. And yeah. Twin Peaks fans are... Perhaps not as large in numbers, but they are as fervent as Star Trek. Now, fans, certainly. W- remind me, Showtime has a streaming service. Yes, I, I get it on my. Yeah, I get it yeah. on my just streaming. I don't have right. a cable. Now it's interesting you mentioned that because the other day, you know, I went on to um, again the other CBS All Access original programming is The Good Fight, which is a spinoff of The Good Wife. Okay. So, Discovery isn't the only original programming on CBS All Access. So. Out of curiosity, I went over to the 
the Good Fights Facebook page. I don't watch the show. I don't even know what it is. I don't even know what the Good, the good I don't even yeah. know what the Good Wife is. I've never watched it. Some drama on CBS, I'm, I'm sure. So I went over there, and I wanted to see if there was anybody and any posts that they made on that show. The show ran off, has gone a full season. It's coming back for another season. I read the comments. I wanted to see if anybody is complaining about having to pay for this streaming service to watch The Good Fight. Not one. No. In fact, I saw people say, I can't wait. I will gladly pay to see this show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... If you love... a. Uh, uh... If you love a franchise, if you love mm-hmm. these this world, these characters, then you know you're gonna. It, it has to sustain, support it, and throw so, some kick in some shekels. To and it. I'm sure CBS is gonna add more to it. They're gonna add oh. more original. They will, they will add more original programming their, to it. Yeah, their thing. Um, yeah, and uh, that's yeah. been kind of my attitude with people. Like in, in again, I shouldn't be engaging these people in comment, but I just I can't help it. Yeah, it just really makes me crazy because I get that. there are a couple things like. Number one, support your franchise. Yeah. Okay, support your damn franchise. Why is it okay to go buy a movie ticket and see the latest Star Trek movie? Now, now let's just say you just buy a ticket. Mm. Just, just one ticket. Say you don't even get any food, you just buy one ticket. On average, on average it's probably going to cost you maybe, what, 15 bucks? Yeah. Potentially. If you see it immediately. If you pay to see it right away. As I mentioned, right CBS All Access. Don't wait until it's in Redbox. Okay, now, CBS All Access at its lowest tier is six. I can't remember if it's six or seven. I think it's six. Six or seven dollars. I think we'll leave it six. All right. Per month. They release three to four episodes a month. That's four out at most. That's four hours of content for six bucks. Mm-hmm. Fifteen bucks for a movie. Two hours of content. Maybe 140 minutes. Two hours of content. Do the math. Right. Minute by minute. There's going to be 15 episodes of Discovery this season. There will be a hiatus, but there will, there will be right. 15 episodes. And then you can cancel it during the hiatus if you choose right. to. Or you can wait until all the episodes are out and get it for a month. Binge watch it binge then. It. Right. Right. So people are going to sign up for it to see it at some point. I think the anger is people don't want to sign up for it now. And keep it the whole and time. And keep it going. Right. Now, I'm the kind of fan, because I love Trek so much, I will gladly... I mean, hell, I signed up for the $6 one initially for the ads, and then the night, the day it was airing, mm-hmm. I was like, fuck it, I don't care. I'll, I'll pay the 10 bucks to see no ads. Right. I, I mean, I hate ads, don't, don't get me wrong. I really hate ads. And I'm like, I, I don't care. This If this is what it takes to, to, for me to see a new Trek series, fine. That doesn't mean that I'm selling out. I want to see a new series. No, you're not selling out. You're buying the and look, French product that you want to buy. And what's to stop me from canceling? If 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 I find that it sucks, all right, I'll cancel. Right. And what have I lost? Six or yeah. what, ten bucks you at the most, can't. depending on when I cancel. You can't cancel. We have a podcast now. No, no. Uh, but I'm just saying. So like, yeah. That's. And what about these truck fans? Who I know. I'm now now I'm casing on my my. Uh, constituents I guess but hating haters it's okay to, I've gone to Trek conventions before they're Me not too. they're Me not too. cheap okay <laughs> I laugh it's like a hundred I mean you can it get a gold pass it's like hundreds of dollars and then yes. and, let, and let's say you're traveling okay we're, we are located in Boston Massachusetts uh-huh. Somerville Massachusetts the conventions in Vegas 
Right. You got the ticket for the convention. You've got the plane ticket. You've got the right. potential merchandise I may buy. You've got the potential autographs I may yeah, buy. Yeah, you've got the, the extra the, ticket to get in to see. Okay, and by this then, person. the full convention experience, maybe, I could be spending upwards of like fifteen hundred bucks. Certainly. And yet, six dollars. To watch new, that, to watch the actual thing that all those conventions are based on, which is right. the content, right. the stories. And, and one more thing on this too, um, I I had a conversation with one person about this who they said I'm not I'm not paying for it I'm not paying for it. They said I pay for Hulu, I pay for Amazon Video, I pay for Netflix, and my cable bill is three hundred bucks. And I'm like, okay, wait. Well, say, I'm not paying for Trek. I said, okay, well, hold on a second. Now, I don't know why your cable bill is three hundred bucks. Um, but if you can afford all of that, what's six more dollars? Right, and and just I, like anything else, it may a, sound elitist of me, and I apologize for that. But like, wh- what's six more? Bucks? Or take a look at your your all that. I mean, there's got to be a lot of redundancy in that particular I, plan. I mean, you've got Hulu, you've got Amazon, and you've got cable, and you got. Um, I, how many people do you think sign up for Netflix to watch Stranger Things? Just for one show? Oh, probably a lot. Right? I mean, yes, there's a lot of original programming on Netflix. Yes. Right? That was the initial appeal. Was uh, There was existing programming. There was no original programming initially. Right. When yeah. streaming came out, it was like, oh, I can watch movie, movies I've seen or TV shows. I don't have to wait. And then the original programming came out. Now, the difference, obviously, is that they release everything all at once. Right. You know, but it's like your cable bill is three hundred bucks, you're paying for the, and, and I asked somebody in a Facebook comment, they said, you know, that person actually I said I said, How many channels do you get with that three hundred dollars? And they're like, Oh, I get like five hundred channels. I go five hundred channels. How many do you watch? And I said, Do you watch all of them? Do you feel like you're getting your money's worth? Mm-hmm. Well, I pay for internet too. Okay, fine. That's that's fine. But the channels that you have, are you getting your money's worth? Let's say let's say half of that is let's just say 150 is devoted to your internet or whatever, and the other half is your is your 500 plus channels. Is 150 bucks worth? Do you watch every single channel, mm. every hour of the day? Yeah. You're probably watching repeats of of Trek or something that are on Netflix, Amazon, and who they're on all they're on all of those streaming services. Yeah, yeah, and that's for me. Uh, that's why I, I don't have cable. I get the streaming right. services for the things that I want. Now, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, obviously, but, you know, if it's the principle of it, uh, okay. <laughs> but it's six bucks. Yeah, and, and it's clearly an expensive show to make. And, right. you know, I would like to see it uh, keep going. Yeah. I mean, I was I was so thrilled to be able to pay for... Showtime, so that I could see Twin Peaks, and you know, hopefully, have them realize that I signed up right when Twin Peaks started. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, your your data crunchers will realize that. Well, all of us are signing up because of Twin Peaks. So give more money to David Lynch to make more. Twin you, Peaks. you know what else it is? It's it's also the fact that I don't like this whole. I'm trying to avoid the binge watch mentality now. I don't want to binge watch stuff anymore. I love the anticipation of week to week. I can you know, understand. I'll give you. I'll give you a quick example. When Stranger Things came out last summer, mm-hmm. um, I watched it in a weekend. It's eight episodes. I talked to a few friends. I talked to some of my you know teammates at work. 
we talk all about Stranger Things. I say, well, remember when this, and then, you know, Barbara did this, and then, and I'm like, I don't remember that. When did that happen? The third episode. Well, what happened in the third episode? I ingested it all so quickly that I, I don't know what happened. I don't remember what happened. Yeah. I didn't pace myself. Yeah. And, you know, I love the, the weekly anticipation. I mean, you know, I've mentioned, you know, outside of this podcast, my favorite show of all time was Lost. And there's a lot of Lost in Discovery, actually, and I think. I loved the week-to-week anticipation. Lost was on Wednesdays. When, when that show was on, that was the first thing I thought of that morning, and it was the last thing I thought of when I went to sleep. Yeah. I love the build-up and the excitement of a new episode coming. I don't want to watch all of it all at once. Yeah, I... I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I get that. Um, Especially if it's something I love. I, I sort of was um, at first bummed that Twin Peaks was put out weekly, mm-hmm. and then I came to appreciate it because it was there was it was very lost like where you were never sure and there were so many questions right and you had some time to think about it listen to podcasts about it talk to people about it that's the thing the show shows like that Twin Peaks Lost and now this one there's a life beyond just that hour a week that you watch it yes. Discussing it with people, checking, looking on wiki, you know, reviewing it, yeah, trying to trying to it. figure things out. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of time I spent theorizing on what happened on last week's episode of Lost, and then even between seasons, right? And and I miss that. And I, like I, when the new season of Stranger Things comes out this month, I was telling somebody today I am going to somehow pace myself. I may, like, try to watch it on a Monday night. Just watch one episode every Monday. Mm-hmm. Until I'm done. That takes a lot. So I can appreciate it. Well, I'm really going to try to do that. I mean, I watch American Horror Story. That's once a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I miss... The, I, I don't want to binge watch stuff anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into practice of watching Veronica Mars for the first time right now. Yeah. And I'm... Uh, my wife and I are watching it. And we're... Um, I, I try to limit it to no more than one episode a night. Right. you got to try to make it like a potato chip. Yes, because I... I like the show. It's the kind of show right. where I want to go and spend time in that world. Hmm. And um, so for that, I want to make it last. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying that Trek fans are wrong in that they shouldn't feel that way. But I guess what I'm saying is maybe I wish they would have a more... I'm disappointed. Is more like it. I wish they would have an open mind. And just, you know. TV is changing. Trek has never been a network show. Uh, UPN, in my mind, doesn't count as a network. Because it was a loose affiliation yeah. of and stations. the other thing, really quick, Trek, in my opinion, no matter how high profile these new movies may be, I can't imagine it surviving on a network. I don't think that show would pull in the numbers it would that it would require to keep it on the air. No, I mean, it, it, the original series couldn't stay on the air. No. I mean, different time, obviously, and Trek was new. Right. But I don't know, I just, I don't know if Discovery would be able to pull in the numbers necessary for it to last on a major network like CBS. Right, I, I don't yeah, think so. I, I think it could uh, last on the CW. I mean, yes. But. Uh, right. But how popular was The Next Generation? And it was on this quirky, strange network. It was on, it was on first run syndication, so it wasn't on network. And The Next Generation, which by the way, you know, the 30th anniversary was last Thursday, the exact day. Um, 
it was pulling in numbers comparable or even higher than primetime network shows of the time. Oh, it was. So if okay. they, I, I saw, you know, something one time that, you know, showed, you know, if Next Gen was on a network, here's where it would place in the top 30. And it's up there with like, you know, Cheers and L.A. Law of the time, which are like the highest rated network shows on TV yeah. back then. Wow. And I so, couldn't see Discovery doing those kind of numbers. Well, it's, it's too fractured now. I know the premiere. So the premiere of the show, or well, even CBS, comparable numbers to whatever the highest, higher. So the premiere, of the, the premiere of the show, um, averaged. I think it was about like nine point five million viewers. Good which for in now, today's right? world, is pretty decent. They're really good, right? Oh yeah. Well, was that? Don't forget, it was after a football game. They promoted it which pretty heavily. They promoted it pretty heavily, but um, no, it got really. For today, it got pretty good numbers. You know, if you think nice of if you think of like you know the the you know mid seventies or even the so like you know to use a, an example because I'm that TV nerd as you know, like in 1986, the highest rated show on TV was uh, the Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. They were averaging about 30 million viewers a week. Right. Well, those days, 30 million viewers. Long gone. Of course, but that today is probably somewhere around maybe the. 10 to 12 million, I would say. That's sort of where it tops out now. Yeah. Aside yeah. from the Super Bowl or... And generally, you know, first episodes always get high numbers. It's, it's, it's yeah, after right, that. Right. It, think of it like movies. You know, the first weekend is the one that everybody cares about, and then after that... It, it drops of, off. It drops off. Yeah, the same thing is true about shows that premiere. I, I, just, I, don't, I can't imagine, you know, the show lasting long on a network. I don't think, I don't think it would make it. I'm yeah, sorry. which... Makes sense. I mean, first episode, people kind of are excited. They want to check it out. Is this right. for me? And then they decide. And some well, and, people decide it is. And, and some know, decide it is. And Trek fans say, well, why is it on a network? I said, well, okay, let's put it on a network. But then when it gets canceled, you're going to bitch and complain. Why did you do Star Trek? Well, you wanted it on the network, and it didn't, and you didn't, it didn't last. Yeah. You know, I, are there enough Trek fans to support a Trek network, a show on a network? I, 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 I don't know. Watch it. I, I really, I don't know. I mean, I think that... You know, Star Trek Beyond is a good example in that it was a great movie, but and it was in a very competitive summer at the time. But it was out of those movies, it was the least profitable. And the budget was like 150 million dollars. It only ended up making about it only ended up making about 320 million at the box office. And I feel that was the best of the three. And I, ironically, in my opinion, yeah, it was the best in the three of the three. Um, but you know, you have to assume that most of the audience were Trek fans. They, there were not, you know, unless they were just protesting because they had the whole Axonar thing at the time, and there was the whole, there was that whole like, you know, CBS suing the fans because of the, the uh, fan films. If you remember that, right? But the movies and the TV separate, right? So that it is. But I think some fans were pissed off about it and didn't attend Beyond in protest. And it's like, well, that's not CBS. That's Paramount. Paramount owns the movies. You're hurting Paramount, not CBS. Um, and it's the. That's that, that, corporate that, people. It's, that was one of the explanations I heard as to why Beyond didn't do I, as well. I think but it is like, this idea of sort of purity tests for your franchise, yeah. where it's impure. They sued someone. Well, they are businesses, and someone was infringing on their copyright, and well, it's like, they have a right to regulate that, at or end, at least expect that people are going to go through the proper channels to make it happen. At the end of the day, you know, Trek. Is, it's called show business for a reason. Show business. And I think it should be expected that, you know, we have to, if we want to pay to see it right now, then that that's going to be the case. We, If you want to see me, you got to pay for it. 
Makes sense. You know? Mm-hmm. I would charge people for this podcast, but I know nobody would pay for it. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I, and look, we've been hearing about this complaint since the show was announced two years ago. It was announced two years ago. November, almost two years ago. November, November of 2015 is when Discovery was announced. Then just called Star Trek, Star Trek. We didn't know what it was going to be about. We didn't know anything about the plot. And they even hated it then. Right. Well, and this is the way it's going. Um, Disney has announced that they will have their own streaming service for their films. I believe right. they're putting all the Marvel franchises on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marvel films. I don't know if they're going to move their Netflix-type productions over there, but yeah. the word is that there will be a new Star Wars animated series that mm-hmm. will be exclusive to whatever so streaming you, do, you know what, do you know what I like? Do you know what I kind of liken it to? It doesn't... It, it's not like... It's not one-to-one. You know, it's, it's not a perfect apples-to-apples, but... You know, I'm a gamer too. Mm-hmm. I have a PlayStation Four because I want the games. I want um, I want those exclusives. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are some on the Xbox One also, but that is the equivalent of me having, say, a CBS All Access because I want. I, you know, I have a PS4 because I want to play Uncharted. You know, I want to play. You know, anything exclusive to Sony's console. Okay. So it would be you as know. if you like the game very much. It's just more of a selection, obviously. You but. loved a game. But you said, you know what, no. If they're going to make me buy a PlayStation 4, I'd protest. I will not buy that system because I will not play that game. A, okay, a better example is a Nintendo console. Okay, I have a Switch. I, I have a Nintendo console because I want to play I want to play Mario. I want to play Zelda. I want to play anything that any Nintendo IP that they own. That is why I have a Nintendo console. So if, I wanna watch, if, I, if I want to watch Trek and it's on CBS All Access, fine. I will pay for it. I want to see it now. I don't want to wait. I want to see it now. Yeah. Look, CBS is already making money off of it. They're going to make, and they're going to continue to, I mean, because, again, people may sign up for it to binge watch it later on. People are eventually going to buy it when it comes out on Blu-ray. People are going to pay for it regardless. Mm -hmm. It's all about, in my opinion, paying for it to see it right now. Right. To see it immediately. But the other thing that is great about that, too, is you're sending a message to the network, this is a moneymaker for us. Because it... It could, it could be sort of dropped before those second or like later down the road viewers see it. So mm-hmm. that's another reason. You want to see the new? You want to see the new uh, Wonder Woman? Fine. You got to buy a ticket and come see it in the theater only because this is the only place you can see it right now. Right. Yeah, and when if you say, "Well, no, I'm going to wait until it's on um, uh, CBS Sunday Night Movie," I don't even know if that's a thing. No, that's <laughs> it was in the '90s. Right. So, but, or Red whatever box. it is. Redbox. Yeah, Redbox. Red I'm going to wait until it comes to Redbox, right? Well, if everybody waits till Redbox for the next Wonder Woman movie, there's not going to be a third Wonder Woman movie. Right. Exactly. Um, but, you know, CBS has already announced that they, they were record number subscribers in, with All Access that day. But again, internationally, it's on Netflix already. And, you know, it's airing on TV internationally. They've already... Fuck, the international audience can pretty much support the damn show if nobody wants to get it on yeah, CBS All Access. That's nice. Although, as we know, generally, it's not about whether something makes a profit. It's have we maximized? Has we not have we maximized profit? Uh, but yeah, the thing that the only thing that does concern me is that. So um, I, I I teach high school, so I, I mm-hmm. with young people a lot, and what I've noticed is a show. Many of the shows that I will talk about, students would tell me they have no idea what I'm talking about. I really enjoyed the show Riverdale. I tried to talk to my students about it. They had no idea what I was talking about. I don't about know what a, that shows. Is that a new show? 
It is. It's based on Archie Comics, but it's really Oh, good. okay. Um, so, they didn't know it. Okay. Once it showed up on Netflix, within about two weeks, mm. you know, 50% of the kids were talking about Riverdale. So, yeah. there really is that, like, the eyes are on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to get kind of into the it's, ether, it's, it's, if you have a niche, you're not going to be reaching outside of the people that are already convinced. It's, it's CBS wanting a piece of that pie, basically. Right. And wanting to go it alone. Yeah. You know, because event, in my opinion, so right now, even like the CBS backlog, the library of like, you know, older Star Trek shows, shows like Cheers, Frasier, Family Ties, all which were, by the way, once owned by Paramount. I can see all of those shows. You want to see them? You can only see them now on CBS Alexa. So, like, I can see them coming down off of Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix at some in the U.S. at some point. Mm-hmm. To say, if you want to see them, you can... I'm surprised they haven't done it now, in all honesty. Because they're on CBS Alexis too, in addition yeah. to being in those on those Well, services. I think they might recognize that fact that you want your shows where the eyes are, yeah. rather than put it somewhere else and then convince the eyes to come to you. I think the other problem, too, was that when, as Discovery was being advertised, it said exclusively on CBS All Access. And, like, look, I knew what it was. You knew what it was. But how many... Does the, did the average person know what that was? Right. The person that has 500 cable channels probably just thought it was some cable channel they had. Or just thought it was CBS. Because in addition to the hateful comments on Facebook, some said, wait, so is this going to be on broadcast? Nobody was sure. Is this going to be on broadcast? Right. You know... So there was. I feel like CBS did a poor job of advertising what All Access actually was. There was they they would just say now on CBS All Access. There was like an assumption that people sort of knew what that was. Oh right, it didn't say. I mean, it's like new streaming service from CBS. Like it'll say like you know streaming on CBS. Yeah. But like or streaming now, but it's oh, like I see. it's like wait what? Right, right, right. Because yeah. even let's say like uh, nothing said sign up now. Right, like CW right. for instance. CW has an app. Right. But the shows are free. So people may have thought it was just the, oh, this is something right. I can see CBS, CBS on my did, in my opinion, didn't do a good job of that. They just said, they just gave a URL, and the average person may say, oh, I can just go there and watch it. Oh, wait, I have to sign up? Oh. Yeah, and then, yeah, I can see nothing, that. Nothing about it said, you know, sign up. Not to my knowledge, anyway. It said in any of the advertising, sign up now. Yeah, and I guess, all access. I guess I could see the business reason. Maybe someone would watch this first episode, loved it. And then they get online, they're all excited, and they go. Whereas if they saw six ninety five, they might have said, "Oh, screw it," not even gone to the website. Right. So they want to kind which, of which, which by the way, you know, get them seventy five percent of the. We way watched there. the initial episode when it aired yes. on CBS, preempted and because of football. Preempted because of football, which people were not happy about, but I knew, I knew it was going to happen. Um, I felt like the initial airing was a little chaotic. I tried to put myself in in the mindset of somebody who did not know, who was seeing this for the first time, didn't know anything about CBSL access or whatnot. And when the show ended, mm-hmm. it just ended. Like there was nothing that said to see parts. I mean, I, throughout throughout the commercial breaks, I remember it did say episode two now streaming or now available on CBSL access. But like when the when the episode actually ended, yeah, right. there was nothing that actually said to continue. Go to such and such. Yes, and as two people who... say to be continued. Right. And as two people who routinely get calls from our parents asking us how their iPhones work, mm-hmm. if you were an average, you know, older, less tech-savvy viewer, enjoyed the show, you would just kind of... Oh, they may have seen it, it and said, oh, that's yeah. all? And then it just disappeared. 
So you really right. sort of have to be plugged into. May not have known that is this, is, this, that is, new, is this a new Trek series? Was it just like a one time? Right. There's almost been a step by step, you know, with a picture of a laptop. Go to the website. Right. I mean, I still would have gotten a call to sign them up to do it for them anyway. But um, you know, part of me thinks so. They were not. They're also not targeting the older audience member. Right. Yeah. I mean, which is. Odd because there is that boomers love Star Trek. I mean, boomers started Star Trek started with boomers. Boomers grew up with Star Trek. Well, and, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I will and I will wrap up this podcast by saying one thing about the uh, the Orville. Okay, this is the other thing I saw in the complaints. They're saying, okay, well, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to go watch the Orville instead. Mm-hmm. The Orville, so, somebody I know, they will remain nameless, said, the Orville is uh, the Orville is the best Star Trek show I've ever seen. I'm like, but the Orville's not, the Orville's not a Star Trek show. Aside from the fact that it's not a Star Trek show. So he, he said, this person in question said to me, sure it is. Seth MacFarlane's a big Star Trek fan. Okay. Um, Jonathan Frakes directed an episode. Uh-huh. All right. I think Jonathan Frakes directed an episode of The Closer, too. Br- not Bre- a Star Trek show. Brandon Braga, and Brandon Braga, a Trek writer, is, is also attached as a writer. Okay. I'm like... Okay. Okay. So, by that logic, I missed out on a lot of Trek by not watching, you know, TJ Hooker and like, I haven't seen all of like Rescue Nine One One or like, you know, there were there were a couple but, of episodes of Columbo that also were. I realized something about the Star Orville. Trek the Orville, in my opinion, you know, I watched the first three episodes and I got to say, like, Seth MacFarlane's just not—it's not my kind of humor, right? I know he's a big Next Gen fan, whatever. The Orville, to me, there's two things about it that... So, I feel like the Orville... Or three things, really. Seth MacFarlane has said he wanted to produce a Trek show. Okay? CBS probably didn't let him. So he went to go make the Orville. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Orville is made out of frustration. Like, well, you got to pay to watch Dis- to pay to watch Discovery? Oh, you don't want to do that? Well, come over and watch this one. It's, a, it's sort of like catering to the people who don't want to pay for Discovery. In, in the- right? But... It also caters to the people who want to see 90s Trek. That show has the visual look of a next generation. Right. And that, and that's the Trek they want to see. Right, so they want to see more of what they have several hundred episodes of. Exactly. The Voyager and, and Next Gen and yeah. Watch of Deep Space Nine. The argument, by the way, the argument that, I, that I, by the way, I've seen fade away is why didn't they set Discovery after Voyager Nemesis? I've seen that kind of disappear now. I haven't okay. seen that anymore. Well, that's good. But everyone's now saying, I'll just go watch The Orville instead. Yeah. Fine, go watch The Orville. But it's, it's, that's like saying, I'm not going to watch Deep Space Nine, I'm just going to go watch Battlestar Galactica instead. Right, well, Battlestar Galactica also has some, some Trek connections. But, and it has Spray Ronald D. Moore. And yeah. it has, you know. It's got Spray It has the word star in it. Um, interestingly, next episode, I'll, I want to talk about some Battlestar connections I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, it's good to see... If I'm going to watch a new Trek, I want to see something new and different. I don't right. want to see more I want to see the same of the um, Planet of the Week, Alien of the Week, no. um, you know, Problem in Engineering of the Week. <laughs> I would like to see something, you know, go in a different direction. I think that's what we're seeing well, with Discovery. The, the old cliche is, you know, it's not your dad's... Trek. You know, it's not your father's Star Trek. Yeah. You know, that was kind of the, that was kind of the, as I recall the phrase, that was a, 
I was a teen at the time, a mid-teenager, but that was sort of the 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 um, the feeling when Enterprise was coming on. Was that this is not your father's Star Trek? Oh yeah, and that was yeah. made very apparent once we heard it's right. been a long time. Yes, that was exactly. Sort of. I think that was their. Um, that was their. What do you call it? Which, that, was, that was how they really drove it home. Which, this is not your father's. Which, Star by the Trek. way, incidentally, I love Discovery's opening so much. You do. I think it's fantastic. It's a great opening. Um, the song's not so. Good. The song grew on me. I have to say. It it didn't take so when I saw I, they released that opening earlier in the day before, the day of the, of the premiere online. And when I watched it, I, I watched it and thought to myself, you know, this runs about the same length as Enterprises. And I'm like, I have an idea. Not five minutes later, somebody else already had the idea to put... And I bet it worked wonderfully. Bet it worked... Nah, not really. Um, but no, the Orville, in my opinion, you know, it's... it's. I don't hate it because, you know, of what I said about how it's. it seems to me it's made out of, you know, resistance to discovery and not wanting to pay for it. But I'm just not a Seth MacFarlane kind of person and be, and it's it's the math the, the appeal of that show is that it's a trek type of show is it is it a trek parody i mean is it is a humor based i mean it is, it is like and it isn't but galaxy like galaxy quest it, see that's the thing like it, i think it tries to be galaxy quest in a way and i feel like when you do that that only works as a movie I don't think you can do it week after week, and this is where I say I think it's gonna I think it's gonna wear thin very quickly. I think so too. I mean, and for me, it already has for the for the '90s type of Star Trek. I mean, yeah, the humor was not in your face. No, the humor was subtle. It was it was more witty. It was um, well in Galaxy Quest too. Like it, I wouldn't even say it was a straight up parody. It was more of a tribute to the fans. Like Spaceballs was a parody. Yeah. To Star Wars, in a way, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, and it was more blatant and more trashy about it. Right. But, like, Galaxy Quest, to me, they weren't making fun of it, per se. I felt like, as a fan, like, in other words, I watched it, I got the references, but I wasn't offended. Well, like, it was like a loving parody. It was a loving parody. It was like a Valentine, in a way. Like, yeah, the conventions, it's like... Yeah, well, yeah we're they're kind of like that. Look, we're doing all the tropes. Right. It's so tropey. It's but I thought it was funny, because I can recognize the absurdity of the whole thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I've again, I've gone to Trek events before. I've met, I've met Shatner, I've met Prince, I've met some of the Trek actors, but I never once... You know, ask them anything about Trek or like, what's your favorite episode? Or like, how come? You know, I talked to Brent Spiner about Curb Your Enthusiasm. I talked to Rene Abergenois, who played Odo, about how he appeared in an episode of the Bob Newhart show, and then he asked me how the fuck old I was. <laughs> like, you know, it's like I don't go to, I, I didn't do any of those fan tropes because I because look, they've heard it already. They've heard yeah. it a million times. Right. And that's and, and that's. It's great in Galaxy Quest, but I think for the Orville, it doesn't work uh, as a series week to week. Yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, right. So I will end by saying I'm really happy that even though in Discovery we're losing 90% of everyone we've met, yep. I really am happy that we get to keep Saru um, when we get yes. to the Discovery, because that has been the standout character for me. That I really enjoy watching. Um, he's almost got a C three PO vibe to him, where mm -hmm. he's very um, uh, sort of yep. concerned about everything, and everything's kind of uh, frightening to him. And and he just um, he I think he he fits well in the long line of uh, aliens on Trek ships. And I hope to uh, watch that you know relationship right. evolve and watch that character so evolve. We didn't cover it, but like you know, so as we know, you know, Captain Philippa. Giorgio died. 
Mm. Right? Yes. But, um, tragic. tragic. Now, uh, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you said, I'm hoping we see more of, of her through flashbacks because I feel like Michelle Yeoh has been too present in the lead up and all the press surrounding right. the show for me to believe she's only in the first two episodes. That makes sense. So, you know, I, I think she's fantastic, you know, and I hope that we see more of her. In fact, I, in my in my mind, you know, trying to make connections, I was thinking that she was a big influence on Captain Janeway later on. Oh, okay. Um, so, right. I, she, so far she's been, she has been my favorite. Yeah, and I yeah, really like so. the relationship between uh, Michael and, yeah. um, and her. And hopefully in flashbacks we'll see more of that because mm-hmm. it seems, and I think we will, I think we will, too. Just because we're also simultaneously, in the structure of the show, we're following, through flashbacks, um, Michael's adjustment to the more human-centric Federation from Mm her uh, Vulcan upbringing. Yep. And it seems that um, Captain Philippa is her uh, sort of guide in that. Mm -hmm. So I think we will see more of her, and I think that will be interesting to follow also. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, next time we will cover uh, the third episode, the true pilot of the series, which is Context is for Kings, which to me is a very original series sound to it. It's great, yeah, it has a yeah. sort of... Well, they all do. I mean, even the last one, Battle of the Binaries, at the Binary Stars, it also... Context is for Context kings. is for Kings. It makes me think of the episode, The Conscience of the King. Oh, yes. episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I, and I see thematically some connections with this that episode since we have seen. So we'll look forward to discussing it. And um, if you enjoyed our podcast, leave us a review or recommend us to a friend. Or send us an email at indiscoveryretrust at gmail.com. And Twitter and all other things. Uh, watch to be, this to space. Be, to be determined. Yeah. Uh, all right, until next time.